So the question I want to ask this morning and kind of gets our second week in our discussion on what the church is. So what is the big deal? I don't know, I mean, sitting here singing songs about God, to God, and people ask the question, so what's the big deal about being part of a church? We just experienced some of that this morning. Can you imagine if someone asked the question, so what's the big deal about a baby, right? Can you imagine, you're like, what's wrong with you, right? It's like, a baby, a cute baby, we love having kids, and yeah, but we're just learning the birth of the church. So I want us to to, to remind us the importance of what is the big deal about being part of a church. Well, there's two questions that we need to answer in our study in our four weeks is what is the church? And last week we learned that the church, ecclesia, is the gathered redeemed. All right? It means the totality of Christians, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The second question in which we ask is what is our role as individuals, Christians who know Christ? What is our role? We stepped on some toes, and today I probably will step on some more toes, so I'm sure you brought your steel-toe boots, as I told you to. But we, church, we learned what church was not last week. The church is not a building, right? The church is not a building. The church is not a social club. It's not a lodge organization. We come and pay our membership dues, and we get things. It's not just a gathering place to come and just talk about religion or education or to listen to your feelings. There's places for that, but it's another subject for another day. Or we're not a consumer-driven ideology that we come, get what we want. If we don't like it, then we leave and go somewhere else, get what we want. We don't like it there, we get, you see the consumer, the, the, the smorgasbord mentality. That's not the church. Remember, the Jews were celebrating Pentecost. And God's, the, the, the third person of the Trinity came to earth to indwell humanity. For those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, indwelled humanity. Remember, tongues of fire came. And then they heard the sound of a rushing wind. And that represented the presence of God. Came to earth to be, as John 14 says, our comforter, that paraclete. So do you see what the big deal is? It's important that we understand 2,000 years removed from this event. The, the, the organism of the church is still here. It's still thriving, and it's still growing, and no credit goes to us because it's Jesus' church. So I left you with three questions of evaluation. So why are you here? And maybe you're watching on, on, on Facebook or YouTube. Well, you know, why are you at the church you are at? Because church is not about you. Okay? That's, a hard, that's a hard pill to swallow in our world today. It's not about you. We know that God filled them with his Holy Spirit. Now through the frailty of man, God's Spirit now indwells them. And now we ask the question, will you let God use you in the church? And when we let God use us, guess what? We ask the last question is, will we stay on mission? What was our mission? To be witnesses, as Jesus left us in Acts chapter 1. All of us are witnesses in our sphere of influence. So we're going to continue to answer these two questions in the next couple weeks. What is the church? I think we're getting our, our mind around it. What is our role? And you have to answer yourself, for yourself that question. What is my role in God's church? So today we want to hopefully, as we get to the end of our message today, I hope you understand that, that being part of a church is a big deal. It is a big deal. So 
Let me ask you a question. Failure. How many of us fail every day? Every hand should go up. My hand is up. Don't feel bad because it's sin nature. We all are going to fail. It's the commonality we have because we're humans. It doesn't, it doesn't help us walk through that failure. But we all fail. Think about it. You remember the first time you started to walk? No, you don't. Don't even raise your hand, right? Don't even raise your hand. But my parents told me when I walked, I fell. And my kids, I remember them walking. You fell a lot, right, until you figured it out. How about swimming? My experience of my first time swimming was my dad saying, get in, here you go, figure it out. And I'm like, Dad, Dad, you're fine. You're fine. All right? And eventually you get the doggy paddle going, and then you start floating, and it works out, right? But you fail swimming at first. How about playing baseball? I can remember getting knocked upside the head a couple times as a little kid with a baseball. Why? Because I didn't put the glove in. I learned how not to fail. How about straight A's, getting straight A's, which is something I never had to worry about in my life. But you, you had to work at studying. If you had straight A's right off the bat, your, your, your friends hate you right, off, right there. Okay, so you're one of those people, right? Well, you know, James tells us in his epistle that we all stumble in many ways. Failure is just a part of life. It doesn't take the sting out of it. And I know what you're asking. Why are we talking about failure? It seems like here the church, everything's going great. The Holy Spirit descends. Things are happening. The church is off to a great start, and you are correct. However, I want us to see who God is using to lead his church. Guess who it was? Who's the first one we read about in Acts chapter 2? What is his name? Peter. Of all the apostles. Mr. Peter. We, we, Peter is known for a lot of things, and there's things that we're just going to just share a few of them this morning. And just, just hang with me. There's a purpose to, for talking about Peter, because I want us to relate to Peter as we think about the church. What are some things we remember about Peter and his failures? Well, Peter was known for always putting his sand on his mouth, right? right? He was always putting his foot in his mouth, always speaking up when he shouldn't have spoken. How about the, the cutting off of Malchus's ear in, in, in the garden, trying to defend Jesus' honor? Or how about walking on water, or the failure to walk on water because he didn't have his eyes focused on Jesus? And the most famous story of Peter is what? His situation in the courtyard where he denied Jesus three times. But we shouldn't remember Peter for his failures because Peter did a lot of good after this moment here in Acts 2, because we believe that the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, and Peter was a changed and different man, wasn't he, from the Peter we knew in the Gospels. What are some things that are good about Peter and his success? Well, Matthew 16 is that verse that Jesus told Peter, listen, Peter, I'm going to build my church upon you, and the gates of Haiti are not going to prevail against it. You know, and it's very interesting. Jesus told him that. That was before he denied Jesus. Wow. Jesus had that confidence in Peter that he was going to be this guy. Acts chapter 2 is what we're going to read today. He preached the first message to the church. Acts chapter 10, Peter was the man who led the first Gentile to Jesus. Cornelius, remember the story of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And then we read in John 21, as Jesus prophesied that Peter would have his arms stretched out, prophesying Peter's death on a cross, and we understand for Josephus, that Peter was not only crucified on the cross, but crucified upside down on the cross. You see, God used Peter's, God used his failures in his life to make him more useful for him in this plan for the church. 
So I want us to turn to John 21 this morning. We're just going to do a quick little overview because we need to get a picture here of Peter, the leader of the church right now. And I want us to be encouraged. I want us to be encouraged knowing if God used Peter, he can use the likes of us. So let me set this, <clears throat> set this story up. We'll be in John 21, 15. So the disciples are out in, in the Sea of Galilee fishing. Jesus had raised from the dead. He's on earth for 40 days, ministering in his glorified body. And the disciples are out there, and they hear this voice from a guy from the shoreline saying, Hey, you catching any fish out there? And they're like, Oh, it stinks out here tonight, right? Jesus said, Hey, cast your nets on the other side. There's some fish on the other side. So they do that, and of course, as always happened, they couldn't even pull the net up into the boat. And they knew it was Jesus. They didn't want to say anything. So he said, Hey, I got, some, I got some fish for you. Come on, come on, come on in. Let's, let's, let's have breakfast. So it brings us to verse 15 here. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said then, feed my lambs. Now, this conversation happens three times, but I need to, for us to stop a minute and understand the word love. The word love here with two different, two different Greek words being used here. Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with all your heart? Would you give your life for me? That's what agape means. It's the same word used in John 3, 16. For God so what? Loved the world. So Jesus is asking Peter that question. Do you love me like that? Peter's response is, Peter uses another word for love, and it's the word phileo, which is a friendship love. I like you, love, as we would understand in our culture. So Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, Lord, you know I, I, I phileo you. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. And Peter, Peter's getting a little irritated, I'm sure, at this particular point. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John. And guess what word Jesus used? Do you phileo me? And Peter grieved because he knew to him the third time. He said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. And he said, feed my sheep. And 18, verses 18 and 19 is that prophecy of how Peter will eventually die. The Lord is telling him this. Listen, uh, Peter and the Lord have already met, Luke 24, 1 Corinthians 15, to deal with the denial part in the courtyard. See, Peter denied the Lord publicly. And it was important that the public restoration was visible. See, sin should be dealt with on the extent as it is known. Public sin should be confessed, uh, pu private sin should be conf confessed privately. Public sin, publicly. Since Peter denied the Lord three times, this is the Lord three times asking Peter, do you love me? But not only that, the Lord gives Peter a threefold commission. Feed my sheep. So in the midst of restoration, in the midst of embarrassment, this is Peter's defining moment here. Jesus didn't reject him. Jesus didn't deny him. Can you imagine your business? Would you have someone like Peter on your team? No. You know he doesn't have your back. He denied me. I'm not going to, yeah, you're done. No. 
Jesus loves to do. Hey, go feed my sheep. So you might say, what does this story have to do with the early church? Well, who is the pastor here in the early church here in Acts chapter 2? It's Peter. Brothers and sisters, this is a beautiful picture of how Jesus began his church. He used people like Peter, a list of failures, like you and me, destined to fail, however redeemed, and can be used for God for his glory. And that is who we are here, 2,000 years removed, in his church. So you understanding the, you understand the question of what our purpose is, why it's such a big deal to be part of this church. Brothers and sisters, remember the gifts God has given you. God wants to use you in a great and glorious way. Turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to walk through here what we believe is, a, is, the, is the snapshot of the growth of the church and the reason why they are growing. So this is Peter's first message. And we're not going to read the, the, the text. I'm going to give you an overview and give you an outline of Peter's first message. So this is ancient, the first message ever preached in the church, okay? So this is really kind of cool in Acts chapter 2. Verses 17 through 21 is Peter referencing Joel 2. And so we want to give that outline, what is God doing in the world and what he will do in the world. He's speaking to the church, looking back, looking, looking at Joel 2, what God's plan is. Verses 22 to 36 is a picture of what God has done through Jesus. And he references David, Psalm 16. So what God has done, what he is doing in the world, what he has done through Jesus. He summarizes it there in verse 32 and 33. This Jesus God raised up, and that he, we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourself are seeing and hearing. It's an overview. Listen, Jesus rose from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now what you're seeing, this Holy Spirit descending on us, this is what is happening. This is what is going on, church. And look what happens next in verse 37. Now, when they heard this message, they were cut to the heart. That word, that phrase there, cut to the heart, means this. It means they were convicted. This message hit home for them. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Have you ever witnessed to someone or invited someone to church? Usually when we, you do that, you're, you're waiting for rejection. You're waiting, okay, they're going to take my literature, okay, and go with it. Have you ever had the opportunity to share Jesus, and you're done sharing, and then they go, okay, what's next? I'll, I'll pray. I'll pray the prayer. Uh, oh, 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 really? Oh, okay, yeah. You know, you get excited. Why? Or so you invite someone to church, and you're like, okay, they're just going to blow. Yeah, hey, can you pick me up on Sunday at 9 o'clock? Look what, see what happens here. This is exactly what this story is. Brothers, what should we do here? I hear you. What should we do to take care of this problem in our lives? The third point of, the, of Peter's message is repent and be baptized. Look at verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for those who are far off. That word far off there is referencing the Gentiles. Okay, remember what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, this mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. This is who Peter's referencing. The promise for you and your children and for those that are far off, those that are Gentiles. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
So he goes, listen, here, the people are there. What's my problem? Here's what, here's what God did. Okay, what should I do? What, 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 what are we to do here? Repent. Be baptized. Look at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Man, that sounds like a pretty successful Sunday for Peter, if we were thinking it from our terms, right? From 120 to 3,000. God used Peter of all the disciples to accomplish his will and his purpose. See, I want us to see this morning that God uses our frailties. He uses our failures. We learn from them. We are, we are, we are flawed creation, and God knows that. See, without the Holy Spirit in their lives, these men would not be successful. And guess what? Today, without God's Spirit and God's help, we would fall into the same ranks. We would be unsuccessful. I know in our Christian life, we have these excuses. We're in the church. We know we have gifts and abilities. We hear these excuses. I just can't. Or I, I don't have what it takes to serve God in the church. I don't want to fail. I don't want to be a disappointment. I just get too nervous, you know, doing things. Well, we've got to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning because Paul addresses this issue, not with, with the area of gifts, but another issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. And he says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. That is hard to swallow if you think you're all that and a, and a bucket of chicken. Okay? If you think you're all that, you are not your own. You see, Paul, in context here, is talking to the church of Corinth about immorality. And there, there was a lot of immoral sin that was happening in and around the church in Corinth. He says, listen, you guys need to get control of yourself. You, you, to, to satisfy your desires is wrong. You are not your own. Well, as I was thinking about that as I was studying this week, the tr it's true in sense of our spiritual gifts. I can't do this. I can't. No, you are not your own. We have the very power of the Holy Spirit in us, wants to use us in what he has gifted us in. And we're going to sit on our hands? God can do wonderful things through us in his church if we would submit to him and trust his Holy Spirit in our lives as he guides and directs us to do his work. Do you understand that? This is God's Spirit being used in us to do his will and purpose. See, we must not glamorize the early church. Many problems beset them, believe me. Not, churches aren't perfect. We learned that, right? Being Christian does not mean nostalgically looking back at the glory years. How many of us have done that in our ministry? <gasps> Do you remember? Do you remember when we used, oh man, God, was I hear you. But however, we should take frequent snapshots, particularly of the early church, and what was important to them, and what God was doing to grow that church. And guess what? They, were, they, they, they were, had the basics. They didn't have children's ministry. I don't read it here. They didn't have choirs. See what I'm saying? Going back to the basics. This is a beautiful picture of the church. And this morning, I want us to see four characteristics of this church in Acts chapter 2. Four characteristics that show us that the early church and what they did to advance this gospel. 
Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Before we read, I want you to highlight that, circle that, because I want you to put there at this title, the early church's passion. This is what it was. They didn't have motivational speakers. They didn't have big budgets. They were here doing what God called them to do, back to the basics. So let's read it together. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Hold there. Remember last week we talked, there were many signs and wonders being done. This again was foundational positions of prophet and apostles and foundational gifts of the apostles and prophets, which we believe ceased at the end of the apostolic age. So this was happening. All this was foundational. We don't see these things happening by apostles or prophets anymore. I just want to make sure that was clarified. Verse 44, And all who believed were together and all had things in common. Verse 45, And they were selling their possessions and and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Upon repenting, upon being baptized, 3,000 new believers immediately began devoting themselves to one another. What a picture. See, the gospel had radically transformed and changed their view of their possessions, their time, and even their identity. They were a new people. They had a new devotion. They were a new community. Their their compassion, their their humility, their joy, their mercy, their devotion was attributed only, not by them, but by the Holy Spirit. See, we asked the question we started out with this morning, so what is the big deal? Do you think being part of a church is a big deal? Understanding the inception of what God wanted to happen in the church? Amen? The early church? Being part of something that God had his hand in and still does? So our first characteristic of this early church, and I believe, I, I want us to see that this is, this is a, a, a picture here of how the church needs to be. But again, what is the church? It's us. It's individuals that make up the body. Remember? The gathered, redeemed, ecclesia. So we have to ask ourselves this question. I'm going to give you some characteristics, but there are also evaluation questions for us today. Am I that type of Christian in the church? So the first characteristic this morning is this. Are they were a learned church, or they were a learning church. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the breaking of bread and prayers. That Greek word there, teaching, means means to cause to learn, cause to know. These believers wanted to know more about Jesus. They wanted to know doctrine. They wanted to know theology. Remember what Jesus told the Pharisees in the Gospels? It's, It's a shame that you guys don't know truth. You're blinded to really what the truth is. I love what Paul told Pastor Titus in Titus 1.9. He said this, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. He continues to give this, um, this um, education here to, to Titus in Titus 2.1. But, but as for you, teach what accords with sound 
doctrine. These early church members were so in tune for the, te- the teaching of the apostles. That was the first thing they did. Do you see the pattern here? Do you see what they are known for? Sitting under teaching of sound doctrine. Churches need to remember that. This should not change in churches today. We could go through entire message series and not truly crave God's word, true living no doctrine, correct? I like what Peter says, again, using the words of Peter in 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk. Probably all of us have had experience in feeding a baby. I had five experiences of that. And it was always neat seeing that, putting that bottle in that mouth and seeing them just go to town because they were hungry. And I always, always, Judy used to get mad at me because I would, I would mess with the kids. I'd pull the bottle out and they'd be like, right? And you put the bottle back in. She's what are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm actually, that's why my kids agitate me today. So I'm getting paid back for when they were babies. So, but the, the, the idea is that baby craves the milk to survive. You see, many pastors will take this verse, we need to be, have devotions, we need to get in God's Word, we need a more Bible study. And, and yeah, you, you can look at that text in 1 Peter 2, 2 and say that. But it's a little deeper here. Peter says it's not just about reading God's Word, it's getting into God's Word. It is craving God's Word. Craving Jesus. That the, the, the remainder of verse there in verse 3 says, Indeed, you have tasted the Lord is good. They tasted Jesus. They live with Jesus. They've seen who he was. Brothers and sisters, we can never exhaust God. Therefore, we must pursue him with all of our might. We must crave him. This early church craved to be and to know what God was and who he is. So the question I want to ask you, do you truly crave to learn more about God's word? Don't answer that. You have to answer that for yourself. I go to church. I'm not asking that. Do we crave and want to learn more about God's Word? Do we gather for the purpose of learning together about this great God? Eric did it this morning. You know, our songs we sing, everything about Sunday morning is about focusing on who God is, all our songs. And he he brought it out in that song, How Great Is Our God. There's theology and doctrine in that song. I love when you hear individuals, they see a class or they hear a message come up and they have this attitude. I don't need to go to that because I know that. I've been at church for 40 years. I, I don't need to lower myself to being with babes who learn that. You are ignorant. You are. That's absolutely unacceptable as a follower of Jesus. You know, every time I study God's word, yes, as a pastor, I learn every week. I learn every week. I don't know it all. Ask my wife. Ask Pastor Frank. I don't. To, to have that type of attitude, oh, that's beneath me. That is ignorant. We should crave to know Jesus and his word all the time. Or, I just want to learn to love Jesus. Okay, I, I do too. Do you know how you learn to love Jesus? You learn doctrine and theology. Because those, those things tell you who Jesus is and what he's come to do for us. So here at Faith, how do you get fed? Well, here, Sunday morning, you're here being fed. We're talking about a lot of doctrinal stuff in this doctrine of ecclesiology. When we were in John the Baptist, we talked about the doctrine of eschatology. We're learning things. We're growing together. 
or small groups. You get together and you open God's Word and you share and you talk. How about our, our, our truth for living on Wednesday night? There's opportunity for, for each individual to get in a class to learn more about God's Word. If you don't go there, it's not, that's not my problem. You've got to want to crave it. We also have discipleship. Judy and I are walking a couple through Dave and Wendy, uh, through discipleship on Wednesday night, walking through the foundations of the faith because they're new believers. and They are thirsting, they're craving the things of God. If you're interested in any of those things, please see us. We want to give that to you. We want you to fulfill that craving in your life. So are you a learned individual? Do you want to learn more about God's Word? The second characteristic we see here is they were a loving church. They were a loving church. Look at verse 42 again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. That word fellowship there is the Greek word koinonia, and this is what it means. An association involving close mutual relations and involvement. Close fellowship. Listen, wanting to be together is essential for Christian living. I'm going to hang my hat on this statement. I don't believe a Christian can have a healthy relationship with Christ if you cannot stand to be with Christians. It's just like an oxymoron. Like, that doesn't even make sense, does it? God created Adam. What did he say? It is not good for man to be alone. He, created the, he birthed the nation of Israel out of Abraham because he, they were to do life together, working for towards God. He created the church here, we see, working together. We need each other in our lives to help us grow and to be accountable. That's how God set it up for us. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I like what Dr. Tony Evans said. I'm going to put to his little Twitter or whatever account here. I want to read this together. Um, I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they are absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. Mike drop Tony Evans right there. Right? This is what we say. As I've heard people say. We talk about fellowship. Here's excuses. I don't like my small group. I don't like my small group leader. I'm serious. I, we, we, we hear these excuses. I don't prefer to be around these certain group of people. Oh, well, excuse me. I just can't, I, I just can't come to, I like watching church online. That is not church. Sorry, Facebook friends, you're there. I, I'm, it's great. I love you. If you can get here, get here. This is church. Facebook was set up for Doug Van Meter, who died of cancer many years ago. He's a pastor, Jay, listen, can you set something up? I just can't get to church, and we did. That's for people who are sick, can't get to church, you're home, you, you, you can't make it out, great. That is not our end all. We need each other. You know, we were going crazy during COVID, weren't we? We were going crazy, we just said, okay, we're coming to church, come get us, whatever you want to do. Why? Because we need this. Listen, when we have these excuses, Please, I'm going to step on some toes here. If, if you please, I'm not, not mean to offend, but things need to be said. That is a you problem. If you can't stand to be around other Christians, that is a you problem. What are we, are we in middle school here? No offense, middle schoolers. You have drama that adults shouldn't be dealing with. Jesus has given us explicit detail in the Gospels, which we've shared here, of how to handle conflict. If your brother offends you, what are you supposed to do? You go to that brother. 
If your brother, if he sinned against you, you go to that brother. Christians, we got to start figuring this out. We look, see here the picture of the early church. I don't see drama in this. They were devoted to one another. They loved one another. They wanted to fellowship one another. So if you have one of those excuses, that is a you problem. You need to fix it. We are gathered together for one purpose and one purpose only, to serve God and to serve others. Actually, two purposes, sorry. Serve God and to serve others. I told you I wasn't good at math. See, when we, we fester that bitterness and that envy and that strife, we miss out on what God is doing at church as the body. Will you let God accomplish his will and purpose? Will you put aside all of our little things, drama we have going on with people? Get things right and let's get on back on track on purpose. We have a great small group ministry here. If you're visiting and you want to get plugged in and want to experience it, please see Pastor Frank. It's a great opportunity where we come together. I mean, small group, I mean, it, we used to have Sunday night services. We would be together for like an hour and we would leave. You know, I got, I got to kick the, my small group out of my house at 9.30 at night, Sunday night. Right? Where's Dave? Yeah, right, 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 yeah. I got to kick these guys out. I'm ready to go to bed. No, I, I, we don't. We don't do that. But what do we do? For three hours, we're in God's word. We're fellowshipping. We're with one another. What a beautiful picture of what the early church, how the early church began. So questions, are you a loving person? Our third characteristic is this. We see that this church was a lavish church. Now, when I use the word lavish, it's not a wealthy church. I meant they're lavish in their generosity. They were a generous church. Look at verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Bottom line, these believers shared everything with everyone in common with one purpose in, 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 in mind. See, the early church thought at this point, scholars believed that when Jesus ascended and, his, and the angel says, listen, the same way that Jesus ascended, he's going to come back. These Christians, many scholars believe that Jesus was coming back tomorrow. Like, wait, I'm gonna, hey, I don't need this, okay? I don't need this because Jesus is coming. Well, here we are 2,000 years later. We're still waiting for Jesus to come. But in their mindset, okay, Jesus is coming. We've got to get rid of our stuff here. This is what we call communism, not communism. Okay, communism is everyone in common voluntarily. You know what? We need to help this people. Hey, let's help this people. Hey, let's, let's, let's help this person. Generosity. Generosity. Now, many of us maybe can't give financially. That's okay. Some of us have that gift. How about our time and our energy? Going and helping someone and serving someone. That's the picture we see here in this text of the early church. Are you a generous person? If we're generous, then we will be a generous church. Our last characteristic this morning is this, is they were a lauding church. Now, I know I come from a Baptist background. All my points have to begin with a letter, so it's L. Lauding means praise. It means worship, so forgive me. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What were they doing? Attending the temple daily and hearing God's word, doctrine, theology, fellowshipping, breaking of bread. Now, there's two ideas of breaking bread here. When we mentioned the first time here in the text, it's dealing with observing the Lord's Supper. 
Now, that's what we're going to do tonight. I want to invite you back tonight here. We're going to see two individuals get baptized. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper. We're going to have a time of worship. It's going to be time we come together and gather again to fellowship and to praise and to worship our God. I love what verse 47 says. They had favor with all people. I love this. Let's just look at this as we close. They had favor with all people. What does that mean here? Is that the community around them, they were seeing this organism of the church, and they were saying, man, these guys, they love each other. And they, they're doing this, they're, they're studying this. This is, this is crazy. This idea of having favor is their loving demeanor was admired by all who observed. They were fulfilling what Jesus told them, and you will be my witnesses. See, now think about it with me for a moment. It's a great reminder that being a witness is not always about what comes out of our mouth, but how we live. You see, these people in the community of the early church, they were seeing action about who they loved, and it was Jesus. And that was just replicating around. And if we notice here, the Lord added to their number. I believe this is a reason why the Lord added to their number, because of the testimony of the church, because they wanted to learn, because they were loving, because they were generous, and because they were worshipful. Added to the Lord, not weekly, not monthly, not semi-annually, daily. God added to their number. And I believe God added to their number is because of what the church was representing there in that culture. They were individuals who showed their love to one another, and it just flowed out from there to the community. So what is the big deal? Do you see what the big deal about the church is? It's just not some club. It's not some organization. This began with God to proclaim his message, to spread this gospel across this globe. And so I leave you with this. There's, there's many questions of evaluation. I want you to think about that with yourself this morning. Do you want to be part of that community? Not just coming, sitting every Sunday, but truly getting plugged in, serving, using our gifts to serve God, and to serve others as we see the growth of the church here in Acts chapter 2. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. We're saying a lot of things here last week, this week, and, and also um, in the next two weeks to come. And please, I, I, I want to, sh- and as, as, as Pastor Frank and I talk about sharing about the church, listen, our, our, our goal and our, our desire here is not to twist people's arms, to join baby Bible. That's not our plan and our purpose. We want you to understand what the purpose of the church was and to get excited about this thing that God created to send forth his gospel. And he's asking us to be part of it. So look at these questions of evaluation in your life. What can you do for God? What, what, what are, what's your purpose here at church? What, what are you doing here? We all have to ask that. And ask God to, to just, just prick your heart. Say, God, what, what do you want me to do in your church? What gifts and abilities have you given me that I can use for you, that you receive the glory? Even though you're a failure, we're all failures. Peter was a failure. But God, he uses uh, failure people who are redeemed for his glory father we, we love you we love your church 
And allow us, Father, to just serve you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we ask this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. So we'll stand up together and we'll sing Jesus. There's no one like you.